Thank you, Lord. Welcome. Let's all stand. The, the Lord has a powerful word for us this morning. But we get to come and focus our mind and our spirit on him right now together. So we're going to praise his name and lift up praises to him because he's worthy. We're going to ask the Holy Spirit to come, to saturate us, to move us, to change us, to show us the way that we are to walk and the way that we are to think. Captain's free. Spring 
up a well, spring up a well, spring up a well in me. Nothing can stop this joy. We're dancing in the streets. Spring up a well, spring up a well, spring up a well in me. We come alive in the river. 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 Spring up a well, spring up a well, spring up a well in me. Is this your prayer? Spring up a well, spring up a well, spring up a well in me. Spring it up, spring up a well, spring up a well, spring up a well in me. Spring up a well, spring up a well, spring up a well in me.
sports fan, by the way, those of you that love sports. He's a sports fan. He just doesn't want it to be an idol in your life, by the way. But Pastor Dave and I, we're big Penn State fans. Many of you may know that. I know Michael Cameron knows that. And um, there's something that happens at Penn State when there's a home game, and it's called a whiteout. And everybody wears white, and the place is packed out, and teams hate to play Penn State on a home game in a whiteout because the fans, the, the supporters of the team shout so loudly that the other team, the uh, opposing team cannot even hear themselves talk. That's how loud it is because they're so convinced, Penn State fans are so convinced of their victory that they shout so loudly that they confuse the enemy. They confuse the opposition. And I believe if we would just kind of embrace that for our lives. You listen, when the enemy's trying to play on your home ground, you gotta realize your God is champion. But some of us, I'm gonna be honest with you, some of you aren't quite convinced because you're not cheering loud enough. You're not convinced. You've allowed something to convince you otherwise. You have a question mark regarding the victory. But Jesus died on the cross to give us an exclamation mark, not a question mark. 
We are the champions because He is the champion, and we're in Christ. Some of us have battles, and the enemy likes to try to convince us on our home turf that he is somehow going to win the victory. But I'm saying to you, and you're going to have to exercise that faith, the faith in what you know. Now, faith, Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1. Now, faith is a substance. It's substance. It's substance. It's substance. Now, faith is a substance of things hoped for. I am hoping for the victory. It's substance. The evidence of things not seen. you got to be convinced. If you're waiting for the physical to affirm to you, you're not using your faith. The Lord loves faith. It's faith in Him. It's not faith in faith. It's not faith in some sort of new age spirituality that I'm empowered because the universe is going to give back whatever I send. Hogwash. Hogwash. That's deception. That's not faith in God. Oh, Jesus. I, I, I know it's my day to preach. I already got the preach on me. Lord. Bring it back. We're going to sing this song again. Let's do a whiteout. Let's do a, you do a whiteout for your life. I'm going to do a whiteout for my life. Do you have somebody in your life that needs healing? Do a whiteout for them. Do you have a prodigal child? Do a whiteout. Do you have something that you're asking God to do in your life? You need a victory? Do a whiteout. Do you have something that you've been struggling with? Do a whiteout. Do a whiteout for your marriage. Do a whiteout. Come on. He's champion. Let's not play church. This is not a religious box to so I came to church. Check. I'm going to heaven this week. No. This is, we have a real relationship with him. And he wants to empower us for victory. My God is champion. And when I declare that, and when I believe that, then the atmosphere changes. The enemy is confused. The enemy can't even hear himself think his strategy against you because the atmosphere has changed. Come on, let's sing that again. Our God, let's sing it out. Yeah. 
show about Oxford, I think, man, these people are arrogant. I mean, they may be smart, but they're arrogant. And intellect and knowledge alone can puff you up. But when you base that into what the Word of God says, and you love God with all of your heart, with all of your mind, all of your soul, all of your strength, what you're doing is you're allowing yourself to be conformed to His will for your life. 
One of our favorite verses here is Romans chapter 12, 1 and 2, which talks about, you know, transforming, being transformed by what? By the renewing of our mind. Because when you know what the Word of God says, when you have it up here, it just doesn't stay here. It trickles down into here. It trickles down into here. It trickles down into your eyes and how you see people and the way you interact with them and your, your, your graciousness to them. You see, because in our culture, we say knowledge is power. And old, back, remember Francis Bacon, any of you along? Not Kevin Bacon, Francis Bacon. He was way before Kevin Bacon, you know. But he, he said that knowledge is power. And in our culture, we put a lot of emphasis on people knowing things, you know. We watch Jeopardy and we think, oh, I, I you know, give me the $500 question because I'm really smart. <laughs> but the truth is God wants us to be humble in spirit and a surrender to him because according to the Bible, if you read the Bible and if you read specifically the book of Proverbs, which is a book of, of wisdom, pithy little statements of wisdom, wisdom according to scripture is not just having something up here in your head, but it's a God-given God-centered discernment about situations and circumstances so you see things the way God sees them. You see your situation the way God sees them. You see your situation when you're, you're gathered together for prayer and you're like, Lord, I don't know what you're going to do, but you're the same God. You're the same God that touched the leper and healed them. You're the same God that took an infertile woman and gave her a child. You're the same God that took a person that was dying and resurrected them to life. You're the same God that did it back then that's doing it right now. You're the same God that forgave all sorts of sins back then. You're the same God that does it today. He is faithful and to do that. And when you, you, you understand what God wants to do in your life, you know, it's an amazing thing. And I love, I, I love the Penn State illustration, by the way, Jerry. That was really good. That was definitely anointed. Right, Michael? <laughs> Michael's even whiting out up there, right? Look at him. He's all whited out, right? But what does Scripture say? Scripture says this. 1 Thessalonians 5 says, we pray without ceasing. You know what that is? That's saying, Lord, I know what your word says, but I'm going to come into alignment because sometimes, anyone else like this? You know what the word of God says, but your mind's telling you something different. That's why you need to be transformed by the renewing of your mind. You need to get recalibrate yourself into the plan and purpose of God. How many of you have ever driven a car that needed a front end alignment? You know, what does it do? It pulls you to one side or the other. But when you get your tires realigned and you get them balanced and you're doing what, what your car should do, you drive straight. The same thing spiritually. Some of us need a front end alignment spiritually. Because when we do that, then we'll say, we'll understand what Philippians says in Philippians 4.8 is that we will be able to be people who think about what is true. I don't know about you, but every day I am bombarded by statements that are not true. We live in a culture, in our world, it's not just because we live in America, but every culture that is opposed to the kingdom of God will teach you things that are not true. They're going to try to tell you this is truth. But is it really truth? What is truth? His word is truth. You know? And what does the truth do? The truth sets you free. It gives you the ability not to be in bondage. And if you're not listening to real truth, you're being deceived, right? 
And when you're deceived, you're going to make decisions based upon bad information. You know, if I would tell you that I could guarantee a 400% return on your money if you give me $100,000, how many of you would take that? <laughs> Mike? <laughs> All right, write a check to the church. <laughs> you know, because that's, that's not reality. You can't make 400% like that. If it's too good to be true, it's a lie. And we want to be people of the truth because we want to be people who are set free. And you know, I, I love the Word of God because the psalmist and the Proverbs, I, I love reading them because they say things like, like this. Meditate on the Word of the Lord day and night, Psalms 1. And then you'll be prosperous and successful in all you do. You'll be like a tree planted by a stream of living water. What happens when you plant a tree by a stream where it's getting water. It grows, it produces fruit, it creates more life, and that's what God wants us to do. So I want you to just believe God to do the impossible this morning. You know, I was sitting here and as Pastor Lynn said, you know, how many of you need a healing? I remember as a young believer, I'd only been a Christian for about a month, and I was cutting a tree down. We had a blue spruce in our backyard that was leaning towards our neighbor's house. And because I was going to be a forestry major, I decided I'd cut it down. And I was cutting it down, and I climbed up, and I skirted all the branches on the way up. And I was up at the top, and I was capping the tree off. And as I was capping it off, I had a chainsaw, and it was tied to a, a, a climbing belt that I had on. And when I cut it, it threw the top off, but it also it, it cinched the, the chainsaw. The chainsaw went out and stopped, but came back, and the muffler hit my leg hit my leg right here and my leg w w it instantly was burnt just because I'd been cutting the tree for about 45 minutes to an hour the muffler was hot on it and it just left a mark a black mark from the muffler you can actually see the lines from the, the air vent on the muffler on my leg and my mom was down at the bottom of the tree watching and she saw it and I come climbing down the tree and I'm like ah. and I, I said you know I don't know where it says it in the Bible but I said somewhere it says by his stripes you're healed. And I put my hand on my leg and I prayed and I took my hand away and my skin was perfect. And my mother, who hadn't come to Christ yet, looked at me and she goes, how did you do that? And I said, it wasn't me, it was the Lord. And I tell you, the same God that did that wants to bring healing to your bodies right now. And you know, God wants you to, to know that it's not some faith evangelist, it's not the pastors praying for you, but it's you being touched by the Almighty, the God who knits you together in your mother's womb, wants to touch your bodies. So if you're sick this morning, I want you to just put, put your hand on whatever part of that body that needs a healing. And we're going to pray, and we're going to believe that he who began a good work will bring it to completion in you through Christ Jesus. Father, we come right now, and if you're watching online, you're watching us delayed, same God that did it back then, the same God that healed the leper, the same God that raised the dead, the same God that touched my leg is the same God that wants to minister to you. And right now, Lord, we just pray in that name that is above every name. Your word says, the prophet Isaiah says, through your stripes, we are healed. So Lord God, we just call out to the, the God who does the impossible, the God who does supernatural, the God that knit us together in our mother's wombs. The God that says, I can do all things. 
that God, we come to you this morning. We come to you right now, Lord, and we ask that your Holy Spirit would just touch your sons and daughters. Lord, we thank you for medicine. We thank you for science and technology. We thank you for all the things that people could do. But Lord, we thank you even more that you are Jehovah Rapha. You are the God that brings healing. So Lord, we speak in the lungs. We speak into to eyes. We speak into ears. We speak into hips and joints. We speak into sinuses. We speak into wombs that need to be released to give birth, Lord. We speak into all areas of our body, things that we don't even understand how the process of our body works. But God, I ask that your Holy Spirit would come right now and re-knit us the way we were made. Lord, some of us, we've been dealing with something like the woman with the issue of blood. And we just need to press in to say, if I could just touch the hand of this body, that I'll be healed. So right now, Lord, we reach out and we ask that the nail-scarred hand of the resurrected Lord would come down and rest upon your sons and daughters right now. Lord, some of us, I pray for our minds, that God, we need a divine touch.
He is faithful. He is faithful. Do you hear me? God is faithful Amen. to you. Embrace that faithfulness. Amen? Amen. Why don't you greet one another? Introduce yourself to someone. If you don't know who they are, give them a hug. Love on them for a while. Then uh, Michael's going to come up and share the announcements with us.
just encourage you to sign up for that. Um, and that's going to lead me into our ministry. Um, actually, let's go to 2024 Israel tour. So if you're interested in going to Israel in 2024, um, you guys can sign up. There's more information that's going to be coming. So I encourage you guys to sign up um, for that. And that's going to lead me into our ministry partner of the week. And this is our Bible school in Bangladesh. Um, that's Pastor Jonathan and Pastor James. They're in a country where it's 98% predominantly Muslim. They need our prayers. They've answered the call of God. They need our prayers. They're, they're, they're dealing with warfare over there. So they need all the support and all the prayers that they can get over there. So I encourage you to keep them um, in your prayers. Um, our local ministry of the week is our children's ministry. Um, Pastor Sandy Martinez, she is an awesome um, children's leader, awesome children's pastor. I encourage you guys, keep her in your prayers, amen, for that ministry for our little ones as she prepares them, amen, uh, for the kingdom of God, amen. We also have our Poland's mission trip up, amen. Um, it says money is like manure, it should be spread around, encouraging young things to grow, <laughs> and that's by a dollar. If you guys want to give to Poland, also just write it on the offering envelope and just put to Poland or to whatever missions you guys want to give to. Amen. Um, that's going to lead me into our giving. Also, have a scripture here, and it's 2 Corinthians 9, 10 through, um, through 12. Now, he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. And through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. This service that you perform is not only supplying the needs of the Lord's people, but is also overflowing in many expressions of thanks to God. How many of you know that God doesn't bless us just for us? Amen. But he blesses us for others so that we can spread it out for his kingdom. And that's what you see going on here at Crossroads. Amen. Because we believe in sowing seed. Amen. Because we know when we sow seed, God is going to bless. God is going to double. And God is going to increase throughout the nations. Amen. So I encourage you guys to give this morning. So Father, in Jesus' name, Lord, we just thank you, Father God, for what you're doing in this church, in this house, Lord, but also throughout the nations, Father. And we just ask and continue to bless, Father God, this house. In Jesus' name. about that song one of the, the phrases in that song is I may not face Goliath but I've got my own giants he's the same God you know, you know what I want to encourage you to go to Israel you're gonna walk on the very land where some of these uh, songs and scriptures that we read but we're 
talking about David and Goliath. We're talking about what God, the same God that did miraculous things and powerful things through the lives of people. The reason why we have scripture is the testimony of God's uh, relationship with humans, his redemption, his story with us. And his story did not end when the book of Acts ended, when it stopped being written, but rather the baton was handed to us. Amen, Pastor Lynn. Amen. Where's Elizabeth? She's in, the, she's in the nursery. Amen. Come on, Elizabeth. Say it over your baby. She's hearing me there. You know, we do believe in sowing, as uh, Michael was saying, sowing. And I did want Pastor David to put up that quote. You said, where is that in the Bible, right? Um, money is like manure. It should be spread around, encouraging young things to grow. I say that to my husband all the time, and I believe it. Let's not throw our money. You know, the world wants us to throw our money down a grave. Down a grave into death. To death things. We're throwing or giving freely our resources into life. Sowing life into this world. So I just want to encourage you. Uh, this house is blessed. We will continue to be blessed because this is a giving house. And the Lord loves a cheerful giver. And he favors a cheerful giver. We want to please God. That's what the scripture is about today. I love to please God. We've talked about obedience. But I want to nuance this a little bit. Because obedience can happen in the life of a believer without joy and without the desire to please God, in the sense of being connected to please him in your heart. You know, David was a man, in Scripture says, that described him, he was a man after God's own heart. He desired to please God. It wasn't just about mere ritual. He desired to please God. You know, many times I hear, and I've, as you all know, I've been in the church all my life, all my life. And people say, we need a move of God. You know what? When you move, God moves. When you're saying, we need a move of God, well, then I'm asking, what are you doing? If you need a move of God, then start moving. <laughs> because the Holy Spirit's in you, and the Holy Spirit's moving when you're moving. If you know somebody that needs Jesus, and you're in their life, guess what? You don't need to pray somebody else in to minister to them. You've been put in their lives to be the witness. Come on. But it comes from a passion within us. I think there's a buzzing going on here. So let's, you can get rid of that. That'd be good. There's a passion we need to have to please God. Now, let me say this. The Lord set up your walk with him on earth so that it's not a fair fight with the enemy. So many times people think the enemy, it's a fair fight. The fact is this. He already won the battle. And he set up your fight to win it. It's not a fair fight because it's a fixed fight. <laughs> Some of us have this question whether that we're going to win a battle. We're more than a conqueror through Christ. No, the fact is this, if we eliminate him, 
If we eliminate him out of our lives, then you know what we do? Or we aren't in Christ. We're not dwelling in him like we should. We actually make it a fair fight. In other words, we start to give the enemy an advantage. I want you to really think about this. We give the enemy an advantage. Because we step away from obedience. We step away from desire to please God. I'm going to go into this right now pretty deep. Because too many times... Christians get into the attitude of technically obeying God. I technically am obeying God. But we lose our passion for God. Technical obedience is called religion. And religion is activity without heart. Religion happens as a result of coldness of heart and sometimes even in the religious activity that we uh, see in scripture we're supposed to do to be a good Christian such as what I just said giving and tithing we begin to resent it because we lack heart we lack passion we lack the desire inside of us to please God. And we're just going through a religious ritual because we stopped desiring to please God and decided, you know what, as long as I do these certain things and obey God, I'm okay. And that's a dangerous place to be. Another quiet Sunday, Pastor Lynn. It's interesting. I'm going to tell you a story. This will lighten the the mood. I'll give you an illustration. We went to India recently, and during our India trip, um, Pastor David and Angie and Michael and Shelly went to the mall. I stayed back, piously studying the Word of God. <laughs> Melody was sick. She was in the hotel. One of the reasons why. She was in the hotel. She was sick, so she had to stay, so I stayed back. And I was going, going through scripture, but I got a phone call while I was in the hotel. It's a, it's a nice hotel. It's called Piccadilly, if you, if you want to research it to validate my story. Piccadilly in Lucknow. And Piccadilly has a salon. A salon, and in the salon they cut hair, they do all kinds of stuff, and they also give massages, arm and soldier, shoulder massage, head massage. And she, this lady called, and she said, hey, we're giving 15-minute <laughs> free massages, shoulder, head massage. Sounded good. 15 minutes massage. And I said, so we had this, like, group text, and I said, hey, I'm going to go and try out this massage for our team on behalf of the team because, you know, you never want to bring a team to something you don't know what's going to go on. Well, they had all gone to the mall. Melody said, I'm too sick to go. I go down to get this massage excited because massages, you know, can be expensive. And I am greeted. And they said, oh, I said, I'm here for a 15-minute massage. Of course, their desire is to sell you more, as you all know. But I wanted to get my 15 minutes of free. <laughs> That's a whole nother story. Not everything free can cost, right? So anyway, so the, one of the gals said, okay, I'll take you. And she puts me in a salon chair. Okay, so I've had massages before, right? A salon chair, you know, the kind that circle, 
circle around. I'm like, oh, this is not usually the kind of chair you're put in, right? Because you don't want to be moving around like this. But I said, you know, it is free. So, and immediately, this gal, she grabs, well, first she starts to pinch my arms like this. Pinching. Ouch. It was hurting. I'm like, what's that? I'm like, all of a sudden, I'm like, what? And then she grabs my right arm and she pulls it over here. She grabs my left fast, pulls my arm, grabs both of my arms and pulls it back. I'm like, I'm being assaulted. I, and you know what? In the moment, there's a couple thoughts going through my head. First of all, I got to get out of here. Second of all, I am being assaulted. And third, I'm glad nobody else is here. And so you know what I did? I said, oh, I think we're done. I was actually kind of laughing, you know, like trying to not laugh because I felt this is ridiculous, right? I mean, and actually I was in danger of being harmed. And, and then I decided I'm going to tip this girl and get out of here. So I'm like, whatever I got, I'm tipping her. Thank you very much. Here's 500 rupees, which is a lot. I'm out of here. Okay. That was my massage. And then I shared it with the team because I wanted them to know they had a good laugh. But what's the point? She knew the right things to do, but didn't do it in the right way. In other words, she had no desire to please her customer. None. She just knew, I'm going to check off the box. There's something I'm supposed to do with those arms, so she started pinching them. You know, I don't know. She learned something. I was sore after this, and I was concerned, too. Concerned about if there was damage done. She checked off boxes of doing what she thought was supposed to be done, but she didn't get what was right about the passion, the correct passion to do it, the heart to do it, to say, you know what, am I pleasing this customer? See, pleasing actually means I enjoy obeying. I enjoy the journey. Are you enjoying the journey with the Lord? Enjoying it. Even when you're in a season of discipline, what, are you enjoying the journey? Not only that we obey God, not only that we obey God, but how we obey God. The desire to obey God. You know, the psalmist writes this, and this is a David psalm. I delight to do your will. Oh, I got to go to church today. Oh, I got to go do the ministry that I signed up for today. Uh-oh, Pastor Lynn's raising more money to build a church. No, I delight to do your will. I'm hungry. I'm hungry to do your will. You know, Jesus said that. He's our example. Jesus is our example. And, you know, when he went to Samaria, which actually was a place where there were the enemies of the Jews. Samaritans and Jews hated each other. And Jesus tells his disciples, we're not walking around Samaria. I'm going to go right through Samaria. I'm going, I must needs go to Samaria. I will go to Samaria. Well, the, the, his disciples said, we're hungry. There's food you need to eat. So he says, all you go away. All you go away and go get the food. All 12 of you. 
go get the food. And he sits. And we know the story of the woman out of the well. They come back after he's done ministry with that woman who now believes that he's the Messiah. And they say, come on and eat. Here's your Chipotle. Here's your, your, your burrito. Here's your, you know, burger, whatever it was. Not a cheeseburger. Jews don't eat cheeseburgers, by the way. No cheese with burgers. Anyway, but the bottom line is, whatever. And Jesus says to them, my food is to do the will of my Father. I want to challenge us. We're a muscle church. You know, you know <laughs> one thing I noticed about our church, it's not for everybody. Some people, they're like, I, don't, I just want a teaspoon here. I don't want the deep stuff. I don't want to go deep. I don't want to be anchored. I just want enough just to get me by. No, that's not what we're about here. We're a muscle church doing great exploits for our God. You will do great exploits for your God. You will do great exploits. That's why we're here. We're not playing around. We're not checking a box. But that comes from saying, my food is to do the will of him. And that's where it comes to, I will please God. See, the enemy wants to take away the joy of your journey. Too many people, too many Christians walk in a Christian life with no joy, with no passion, with not being in love with it. And in order for you to live abundant life, truly abundant life, you have to have pleasure in what you're doing. It's central for abundant life. It's it's seen there is a privilege in obeying God. It's not drudgery. It's not less than. The world doesn't have it going on and I have to go and obey God. No, it is a privilege. It's abundant life to obey God. Beware of that religious spirit that can set in when our hearts start to cool down. Our hearts start to cool down from the passion, maybe from the passion we first had when we came to know Christ. And we start to, to get cooled off a bit. You know, God has always confronted his people when they started cooling off. When their hearts started growing cold. And then, you know what happens when your heart starts growing cold? You start resenting to obey God. You start resenting what the word of God says. In the book of Malachi, it tells us that because they started complaining about tithes and offerings and talking about how the wicked were blessed. And God says, why are you complaining about that? It shows forth your heart. He also says in the scripture, Isaiah, the prophet says, and it's not up here. He says, the people come near to me with their mouth and honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. The worship of me is based on merely human rules that they have been taught. We don't want to be that way. We don't want to check off the box. We don't want to say, well, I have to live this life of treasury because you know what? Jesus is coming soon or I want to go to heaven or whatever. But boy, do I wish it was different. No, we want to capture the passion we don't want to be like the Pharisees, the Pharisees in Scripture that Jesus confronted, and they technically obeyed. They were actually very good at obeying the law, but their hearts were cold. When we have obedience without pleasure, what happens is doing God's will becomes powerless. Let me say this again. When we 
obey without the pleasure in doing so, God's will becomes powerless. And Jesus did not give us a relationship with him that is powerless. His intention for his children was to always walk in power. And it was for his good pleasure that we would do so. But we do that with the joy of obedience. Scripture says the joy of the Lord is our strength. And so many times in the journey, we can lack joy. The problem is this. This is the challenge for us. There is a great exchange that goes on, and that is our will, our flesh, has to be surrendered to the Lord. And that's where we start to interpret obeying God in a negative way. When God starts saying, you know what, this has got to change in you. This has got to change in your life. And all of a sudden, we start to interpret obedience if we're resisting him in a negative way. See, we have a journey as believers. You do, I do, none of us are absent from this journey. And that journey is surrender to the Lord. Learning to surrender more and more to the Lord. And and that's not just like, well, I'm a moral person, I do the right things. But surrendering our fears, surrendering the need to control, surrendering even the triggers from our past. I've been triggered, and therefore, you know what? The Lord wants to heal that in you. Even surrendering our unwillingness to be uncomfortable. Some of us don't like to confront things. We're not a confrontive people. And the Lord is saying, you know what? I want you to start confronting things in your family, in your life. We don't like to confront, and it's not my nature to confront. Guess what? You have a new nature. And if the Holy Spirit says you need to confront some things that are leading your family to death, leading your marriage to death, leading your children to death, you need to confront them. I don't have any joy in doing that. Well, guess what? Get close to Jesus. Because you will have the joy that you need to do that. It's going to be quiet today. You say, well, Pastor Lynn, you sound like it's so easy, and it's not. It's not easy sometimes because the journey of crucifying the flesh in our lives is not easy. We want to cling to it. Our natural man wants to cling to our flesh, wants to cling to our comfort zone, wants to cling to not changing. Well, what about you? What about me? Well, you all know I like massages, number one. (laughs) Number two... When I was here a few years ago as your pastor, we had just started the journey with you all here. I'm going to tell you how I lost my joy in this journey, and the Lord confronted me. It was tough the first couple years, tough. Some of you are witness to that. Only a small group of you actually now are witness to that. But confronting some of the things that God had asked me to confront was wearing me out. I mean, I, <laughs> I didn't want to show. I was a principal of the school at the time. I was pastoring with Pastor David here. And I'll tell you what, driving up to this property, I thought to myself, all I want, Lord, is just one thing from you. And it's a three-letter word. Out. 
I'm being honest. I'm, I'm being straight up with you because I know sometimes in our journey, the Lord is wanting us to crucify the flesh, but it's not an easy thing. And we have a crossroads. We have a juncture. Well, the Lord was going to help me with that juncture. So you know what I did? Because I wanted out, and I convinced myself it would be in my best interest. I applied for a position going back to a type of job that I used to have, and that was as an um, a professor at a university, one of our Assemblies of God universities. Many of you who watched Phil to the Brim, what did I talk about? Going to Pillar of Salt, going back, or Promised Land, going forward. You can listen to those. Well, I was kind of not knowing choosing the Pillar of Salt. And so, actually, I applied, and guess what? The director of the program was interested. Yippee! Yay! Good. Out of here. Done. I'm being honest. Oh. And so he said, okay, I'm going to, you're one of my candidates, and I will be in contact with you. I said, yay. Well, between the time he contacted me and a few days later, after work, I came home from the school, being the principal, and I step out onto my patio, and I break my foot. Never had had a broken bone in my body ever. And I wasn't wearing a high heel. It's like some of you think right now. I was wearing a sports sandal. A sports sandal. How can you break a foot with a sports sandal? Well, I could, obviously. I broke my foot. My foot blew up. Uh, like Now I know what a broken foot looks like. Because I'm so cheap, I didn't go to the um, emergency room that night. I crawled on the floor to my upstairs to my room and sat in my recliner. My foot up, poofy and everything. And I got a call. Literally. Once I got into my chair, I got a call. And guess who it was? The director of that program. And you know what he told me? He said, I'm sorry to tell you, but we're not going to pursue you any longer. <laughs> that moment, and I knew God said, you ain't going nowhere. You aren't going nowhere. Because you're going to crucify your flesh. And you're going to learn the journey of joy in the midst of this. And you're going to walk these people into the promised land. And you're not going to ever turn back. And I remember that moment. I felt like Jacob who had a hip. And every once in a while my foot, on my right foot starts to like ache a little bit. I'm reminded, Lynn, you ain't going nowhere. And you're going to desire to do his will. Some of us, we're always wanting the out. We're always looking for the escape route, the exit door, in whatever God is asking us to do as well as change. The fact is this, in the journey, part of the journey with the Lord is the crucified flesh. See, my relationship with you is affected by my relationship with the Lord.
Do you get that? That if my relationship with you lacks honesty, lacks integrity, I'm harming you. My submission to the Lord affects you. My closeness with God affects you. You know what? There's a lot of pretense out in the religious world. There's a lot of pretense. There's a lot of performance out in the church world. And God is actually confronting that in this era, by the way. And things, big mega stuff is crumbling because it wasn't the heart. It wasn't the heart. It was performance. It was external. See, the fact is this has got to be the heart, the passion of the heart. Moses' relationship with God affected the people. King David's relationship with God affected the people. The Apostle Paul's relationship with Jesus affected the people. And my relationship, Pastor David's relationship with God affects you. But guess what? Your relationship with God affects us. Your relationship with God affects your family. Your relationship with God affects your marriage. Your relationship with God affects your community. Your passion for God. Your love for God. Your desire to please God affects the people around you. Come on, Jesus. And therefore, we need to have an appetite for him. A hunger. A thirsting for him. A closeness with him. And you know what happens? You know what is one of the telltale signs, the red flags, that we're not close to the Lord? Is that we start to blame other people around us. Something's wrong with them. I didn't, get anything, I didn't get anything out of the worship today. I didn't get anything out of the sermon. I didn't get anything from Pastor Lynn or Pastor David. There's something wrong. There's something wrong. I'm bored with his... You know what happens? We start to criticize the things around us because we actually are deflecting from the fact that we lack closeness with the Lord. We, we develop a blame game and a critical spirit. We lack the taste buds, spiritual taste buds for the things of God. You know, we went to the Caribbean, to the Virgin Islands. It was fun. My tan is fading, but that's okay. But we ate, I ate, Pastor David ate almost every day. I ate key lime pie. Yeah. You, typically in our house, we don't eat sweets like that on purpose. But when we went on vacation, we ate it every day. Every day. And you know when I got home, you know what happened? My taste buds had changed. My taste buds didn't think fruit was as sweet as it was before I left. Because I had feasted on sugar. I had become an, had an appetite now for something that was much less healthy for me. Then the fruit, the good food. What happens for us is when our taste buds are off, we do not desire or have a passion to please God. It's our taste buds, by the way. It's our spiritual taste buds. Ooh, it's quiet. Check out your taste buds. If you have a critical spirit, you have taste bud problems. You know, it's interesting, having worked with the persecuted church, and we go and we work with them. When you really are in the throes of battle, your taste buds kind of get real acute 
on loving the word. Because his word is your food. The worship, gathering together is your food. Drinking. So it's not critical, critical, critical. It's saying I am so. It's desiring to, to do those things because our taste buds are on. Jesus said, if you hunger and you thirst after righteousness, you will be filled. It's interesting in a marriage. Let me use the metaphor of a marriage. Pastor David and I have been married. How many years, Pastor David? Okay. <laughs> nope. 33. We've been married 33, but that's he was close enough. 33 plus. <laughs> okay. It's interesting. Even God gives this illustration in Scripture about how he's married to the church, to his people. But when a person in a marriage begins to detour from their marriage, faithfulness in their marriage, begins in their mind. They start to look away from their spouse and toward, and rather than toward their spouse. They start to look away to other things filling them. They start to hunger for something else that eventually will lead them down a road of destruction. They start to look away. They start to have a roving eye. And they start to be critical of their spouse. I can always tell a couple that's not deeply in love because they start to pick at each other. Pick and, and they have maximum criticism. It's an unhealthy marriage that lacks passion because there's somebody that is looking away. And they start to become critical because it's really about their own mental emotional and spiritual condition come on and so they start to pick apart their spouse as a defense mechanism for what really is going on in their own life and the person actually is deceived themselves because they truly believe that the problem lies outside of themselves rather than within themselves they have failed to fix their eyes, fix their eyes on their one and only. They have failed, let me say this, they have failed to fix, to not turn away, but fix their eyes on their heart's desire. See, we're to fix our eyes on our one and only. What does that mean? To be unmoved. You know Gorilla Glue? Do you know Gorilla Glue is? Have you ever put Gorilla Glue between your two fingers? Don't do it. Don't do it. I dare you. Don't do it. That's fixing. That's fixing. Scripture says Hebrew in, in uh, Philippians that we're to fix our eyes. Hebrews 12, 1 and 2 says this. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great of cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders the distractions and the sin that so easily entangles. And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus because he is the love of our life, because he is our heart's desire. 
desire, not being attracted to the world, and taking every thought captive when it's trying to seduce you from fixing your eyes on Jesus, not letting the world's deceptions, philosophies captivate you. 2 Corinthians 10, 4 and 5 says this. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. We are in a battle. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought and make it obedient to Christ. So if you're having a hard time fixing your eyes on Jesus, and you're being seduced by the things of the world or every shiny thing that gets your attention, do what 2 Corinthians tells you. Take your thoughts captive and bring them under submission to the Lord because you are to be on a trajectory of growth with the Lord of more unity, more oneness with him, connecting with him, having depths with him. You are to grow in depths with the Lord. Too many times as being a pastor for longer than I've been married, I've been with Christians, whether they're, it's about their marriage or whether about their own walk, where they say to me, how did we get here? How did we get here? How did I get in this affair? How did I get in this addiction? How did I get and fill in the blank? You know how you get there? By not fixing your eyes on Jesus. See, the fact is, is you have been set up to win. You have been set up. It's not a fair fight with the enemy. He sets you up for victory unless you choose not to fix your eyes on Jesus. I am tired of hearing preachers give you powerless Christianity. That's actually a sign of the last days. A form of godliness but lacking the power. You have a powerful Christianity because you have the spirit of Christ that dwells in you. You don't need to say, how did I get there? You fix your eyes on Jesus. You don't have to walk in a spirit of fear or defeat. You, all you have to do is fix your eyes on Jesus. Have a passion for him. We either go towards depth or we go towards death. Let me go back to my broken foot. There was a moment there that my flesh was screaming out so loudly. I was all like, anywhere but here. I'm being honest with you. And I'm, we have a pretty good connection. But you can get to a place in your life where you go, anywhere here, because I'm so done with the season of discipline, the season of uh, having to crucify the flesh. And we not only come to one crossroads in our life, one juncture, we come to many junctures in our walk with the Lord as we go into more depth with him. And we have choices to be made. As even mature believers that have been in the faith for a long time, you're on a trajectory and you come to junctures. And I have seen even mature believers come to a juncture where they chose death rather than depth. And that death, what does it look like? Mere religion. It looks like dryness. It looks like sourness. 
as Pastor David says, looks like being baptized in pickle juice. It looks like somebody that doesn't know how to love other people because they come to a juncture in their growth where they have to choose depth, going deeper, because our walk with the Lord has a cost to it. You know, there's a lot of new age philosophies out there. You know, you can listen to YouTube. You can listen to all these gurus or these people how to be rich, how to have positive thinking. You go on and on and on. And you know one thing that is not in that is the cost of discipleship. See, when we signed up, we received Christ. Grace is free. The cross was free. But there is a cost to our discipleship. And the cost is this. The world's going to hate you. Too many Christians want the world to like them. But the more that you please God, the more the world's going to hate you. Why? Because you are people of the light. And you have to, the church, especially in the Western world, especially in our culture here, who have had this kind of... Uh, mentality that we have a Christian culture or something like that and we want the world to like us well I want favor with the world well the scripture says you have favor with God first there is a cost to discipleship and there is part of that is I am willing to be persecuted because Jesus was persecuted John 15 Verse 18, if the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. If, the belong to, if you belong to the world, it would love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world. And I have chosen you out of the world. That is why the world hates you. Remember what I told you. A servant is not greater than his master. Why do you think that you're going to bypass this? Let's play the hokey pokey out here. Oh, I'm playing dodgeball. I don't want to have that. I don't want to be the light in the darkness because I'm afraid of rejection of the world. Well, that's part of who you are. We're going into, people are trying to pray it away. They're trying to like rebuke it. You know what? Jesus said it was going to happen. That's part of being light. That is why the world hates you. Remember what I told you. A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. If they obeyed my teaching, they will also obey yours. They will treat you this way because of my name, for they do not know the one who sent me. Now, let me just pick this, say this about this scripture. Jesus is giving us a clear message. He's not cloaking it. He's saying the world's going to hate you. They're going to persecute you. But guess what? Go teach my word because some of them are going to listen. In the midst of the difficulty, he sends people out and says, go teach my word. Because some of them are going to listen because some of them listen to Jesus. In our desire for prosperity and success in what God has assigned us to do for our life, let me tell you this, you do not have to compromise to get that. You do not have to be a world pleaser. Be a God pleaser. And in the midst, let me do this, correct? 
Some of the stuff that's gone awry, I've noticed over years now. In the persecutions, in the world hating us as believers, as followers of Christ, we do not return hate for hate. I'm going to say this again because somehow there is a philosophy out there that we get as hateful as the people who hate us. But Scripture clearly says, Romans 12, 21, do not overcome evil Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. We love. We are a people of love. We do not respond in hate to hate. Whether we're here in the U.S., whether we're in India, whether we're in Bangladesh, whether we're in Nepal, whether we're in Poland, no matter where we are, we as believers, as a true body of Christ, do not respond to hate, which will come, by the way, with hate. We respond with goodness, God's goodness. Because we have to understand that your journey, no matter what your journey is, meaning what your application, your assignment is, there is a clash of the kingdoms. And we are people of the kingdom of God. That is your first territory. That's the first of who you are. You are people of the kingdom of God. And the kingdom of darkness resists, hates the kingdom of light. That's who you are. Jesus said this, Matthew 16, 18. He says, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. But The phrase before that is, and I tell you that you are Peter and on this rock. Why does he say that? Why is the context of that? Is that Peter's the one that has given the revelation that he is the Messiah. That's the context. And then Peter's name actually means little rock. And Jesus is making a play on words here. He's saying, I am building my church on the revelation that I am the Messiah, number one. And number two, I am going to build my church on people like you, Peter. Little rocks that are going to have the, the power of the Holy Spirit flowing through them. Because the kingdom of God is not external. The kingdom of God is within you. It's a presence of Jesus within you. Luke 17, 20, 21. Now, having been asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, he replied, the kingdom of God is not coming with signs to be observed or with a a visible display, nor will people say, look here, here it is, or there it is, for the kingdom of God is among you because of my presence. In the King James, it says, neither shall they say, lo here or lo there, for behold, the kingdom of God is within you. Let me just say this about the kingdom of God. A lot of people want the manifestations of the kingdom without having the kingdom within them. Because when we say the kingdom of God is within you, that means the king is in control. Because the kingdom is controlled by the king. There's lordship. We are the property of the king. We abide by the rules of the king. We surrender to the king who reigns. See, the world may want some benefits of God's kingdom, may even try to purchase those benefits, may try to get those benefits, may try to hijack those benefits, may try to repackage those things in a false message. But the kingdom of God is within the true believer. In Scripture, in the book of Acts, 
The gospel is expanding. And in Acts chapter 8, there's a man by the name of Simon who tells Peter after seeing the power that's going forth in the lives of the believers, he says this, Acts 18, 8 verse 18 says, When Simon saw that the Spirit was given at the laying on of the apostles' hands, he offered the money and said, Give me also this ability that everyone on whom I lay my hands may receive the Holy Spirit. And Peter answered, May your money perish with you. Because you thought you could buy the gift of God with money. You have no part or share in this ministry because your heart is not right before God. Repent of this wickedness and pray to the Lord in the hope that he may forgive you for having such a thought in your heart. For I see that you are full of bitterness and captive to sin. Peter is saying it flows from within you. You're wanting all the goodies. But the kingdom is the presence of the Lord in you. It's the desire to please the king. It's the passion to please the king. It's submission to the king. And out from you, within you, flows the manifestations of the kingdom, the power of God's kingdom to the earth. Being confronted. See, he had junk in him. Actually, in that scripture, if you read it, he believed in the message. But he had junk in him. And the Lord was, and Peter was saying, the Lord was saying through Peter, listen, you got stuff in you that you got to get rid of so that the kingdom can dwell in you. I want to say, Rebecca, come on up here. The kingdom of God is the kingdom of light, and it's a polar opposite to the kingdom of of darkness. And the truth is this. You're going to have to accept and embrace the cost. The passion for God has to do with your desire to embrace the cost. I've been crucified with Christ. I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. That crucifixion in our lives happens ongoing. It's not just once when we give our life to Christ, but it's ongoing in going to those crossroads and saying, I'm going to choose depth. I'm going to choose obedience. I'm going to choose to please God rather than choosing myself, choosing the world, choosing my comfort, choosing not to change. Just like in a marriage, many of you that know, in a long marriage, you've got to choose your spouse. You might have some, some sparkly person coming around, but when your eyes are fixed on your spouse, I'm going to be honest, it sickens you. Somebody come and try to seduce you. You go, ooh, because I fix my eyes on the love of my life. The enemy wants to seduce you. And at least by doing so, get your passion for the Lord, your desire to please Him, eroded, diluted, so your appetite no longer hungers for Him. As Jesus said, my food is to do the will of the Father. He says elsewhere, the enemy and I have nothing in common. I love that.
he has no hold over me. When something has no hold over you, like it doesn't matter what you have to say. It doesn't matter what you do because you have no hook. You have no hold. There is no way for you to get my attention, to have some sort of connect to me. So you were set up for victory. You were set up for a fight that wasn't fair. <laughs> if you just get it, your fight is not fair unless you make it fair and give the enemy an advantage because he already lost because his fight was with Jesus and Jesus defeated him and then placed his Holy Spirit within us and says now go be overcomers more than conquerors victorious I have given you as Jesus said to his disciples, I've given you all the power over the enemy. Not some, not just here and there, all the power over the enemy. But you got to fix your eyes on Jesus. There can't be things in common with, with the world. You can't say, you know what, I, I have these attractions. Can't be feasting on key lime pie. Your taste buds can get off because we get distracted if you're struggling with passion for Jesus I'm going to tell you it's because you've gotten your taste buds off taste and see that the Lord is good there's nothing better there's nothing better there's nothing more fulfilling. My food is to do the will of the one who sent me. There's nothing better. Don't be seduced by the performances of the world. Don't be seduced by the philosophies and the arguments of this world. Don't be seduced by the false religious junk that's out there that's not rooted and grounded in the Word of God that's not rooted and grounded in the character of Christ come on I'm, I'm gonna hit I'm going to swing there's so many there is a, 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 a stirring a rambling of fear I hear among believers Fear of what's going on in our world. Why are you afraid? Why are you afraid? You think the world has more power than you do? Is that why you're afraid? Why are you afraid? You don't have to be afraid. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. But are you exercising that? And have you lost the passion? I'll tell you what, going back to one of your favorite themes, sports. When a person has a passion for their sport, they play it in a certain way. But when they lose that passion, all of a sudden, they're not as good. But there's something about when somebody just got has the eye of the tiger, the fire in their belly. You know what I'm talking about. And it's actually a joy to watch them. Because they, you know they have the love for the game, right? You're like, wow. They 
are fun to watch because they have such a passion for this. See, the Lord wants you to have a passion for your assignment with Him. And when you do, there's not a spirit of fear that can overtake you because you realize something. This isn't a fair fight. <laughs> it's not fair. And I'm not going to give the enemy advantage to try to make it fair. And I'm really not going to give him an advantage and give him some sort of victory. I want you to stand. I love to please God. I want you to do a heart check. I want you to do right now. I want you to do a heart check. See, my job, my job according to Scripture in Ephesians chapter 4 tells about the leadership gifts to the church. And if you read that scripture in Ephesians chapter 4, it tells me and tells you, Ephesians 4, 11 through 16, tells us this. That my job and Pastor David's job is to equip you for the works of the ministry. Not to do everything ourselves, but to equip you, to show you the power that's in you to do the work of the ministry. To teach you so that there's no deception and to teach you and help you build up this house in love. So we have three things, the ministry that we're all called to, two, the teaching of the truth so that you're not deceived and do and tell you the truth. I'm not going to tell you a lie. I'm not going to preach a word to get a crowd. I'm going to teach you the truth and to build up this house in love because we're all in process. I told you my story about my massage or my injury or my assault, however you would like to say it. And I told you my story about my broken foot because I want you to know my journey isn't perfect. And we're not in a perfect journey, each one of us, because we're not perfect people. But we are in this together and I and you all with one another are to encourage one another towards fixing your eyes on Jesus, towards a passion for Christ, building up this house wherever you come from, whatever place you come from in life, building one another up in love. Because I'm going to tell you, you can do this. I, God is for you and we're for you. If God is for you, who could be against you? And the truth is, God's body, this house, is for you. Cheering you on. Realizing the victory that you have. The victory that you already have over your family. The victory that you have in your marriage. The victory that you have in your health. The victory that you have in ministry. The anointing. Fill in the blank. There is victory. Don't make it a fair fight. Why, why you hand in the enemy the advantage here? Have the advantage here. I'm just not going to believe. That's what he's counting on. Bunch of doubt. Bunch of fear. Do an inventory right now. Holy Spirit. Right now. Just between you and the Lord. Abundant life is God's will for you. Abundant life no matter what. See, you may be in a storm. Abundant life in that storm. You may be facing a big time of crucifixion of the flesh. Abundant life he wants to give you. Right there. The joy of the journey. 
abundant life. Whatever the journey is, whatever you're facing, the Lord says, I am with you. Fix your eyes on me. I want to bring victory. The victory is already in you. Holy Spirit, we welcome you. You are the purifier of our life. You lead us and guide us into all truth. You have empowered us. The same spirit that raised Christ from the dead dwells in us. You are the same God. You are the same God that rested on David when he faced Goliath. You are the same God today. Lord, I pray for each one in this room, those who are listening. Lord, I pray, Father, that they would walk out of this place or as they log off, that they would embrace the truth that was proclaimed today, understanding who they are in Christ. And Lord, if there is hardness of heart or lack of appetite, may they confront that in themselves. May they begin to feast on your word. May they return to the things that they know to do. May they return to their first love. May they turn away from the the attractions of this world and toward you, Lord. You being their first love, their one and only passion. Lord, we declare this, Father this word in your name. Amen. God bless you as you go. Have a great week. Those of you that are going to Poland, I'm going to meet with you over here on the side here for a team meeting. God bless you. Shake it.